Good morning, this is David Bennett, and this is Bitcoin And, a podcast where I try to find the edge effect between the worlds of Bitcoin, gaming, permaculture, podcasting, and education to gain a better understanding of all. Edge effect is a concept from ecology describing a greater diversity of life where the edges of two systems overlap. While species from either system can be found at the edge, it is important to note there are species in the overlap that exist in neither system, and that is what I seek to uncover. So join me in discovering the variety of things being created as Bitcoin rubs up against other systems. It's the 9th of June, 2022, and this is episode 601. God, 601 of Bitcoin and... Hey, you want coffee? You, you, do you, do you want coffee? Are you, are you, are you anywhere close to, uh, where is it? Uh, Belfast, specifically East Belfast. Well, if so, you might want to go hang out at Root and Branch. That's right. Root and Branch, because why, why do you ask? Well, Root and Branch is now accepting Bitcoin at our espresso bar. You get a 20% discount off of all purchases when used. Hard money makes life less expensive. Bolt cards also available to purchase and we're giving away two preloaded with 30 pounds sterling of Bitcoin, just like and retweet to play. And of course they're gonna mention Coin Corner in that because you know that's where Bolt cards come from. (coughs) So Root and Branch, you can go find them on Twitter at Root and Branch O. Root and Branch and the letter O, all one word. Uh, 20% discount if you if you buy your coffee with uh, Bitcoin. And this is a good way, honestly, that's a really good way to get people interested in coming around to your way of thinking and giving, giving you what you want. If you want a better money, offer a discount. If you really believe, if you really believe that Bitcoin is going to do what we believe it's going to do, then taking a 20% discount now uh, is not going to hurt you in the future and it's going to spread adoption. There are people out there that are combating each other right now by saying, oh, you got to not spend Bitcoin. And then there's the other people on the other side of that argument that are just saying, you you idiots, you're destroying Bitcoin by not spending Bitcoin. Do both. Fuck it. Why not both? I mean, I saved money. Before Bitcoin, I saved money and I spent money. Why wouldn't I save Bitcoin and every once in a while, cut loose some. And generally speaking, I always, well, I always buy Bitcoin for the purposes of buying something with that Bitcoin on the very same day, uh, which helps me with price fluctuations at these early stages of the lifespan of Bitcoin. So anyway, uh, root and branch, if you want to go get an espresso at their espresso bar or coffee or whatever, and you're in East Belfast, uh, go over there and get 20% off of your purchase. Now, Speaking of foreign lands, Bitcoin Magazine uh, has this one from Renata Rodriguez. Uh, 365 days of financial freedom. The stories of Bitcoin adoption, of course, in El Salvador. On June the 8th, 2021, when El Salvador announced that Bitcoin was to become legal tender in El Salvador, I knew that this was an opportunity to showcase the real value of Bitcoin. When I saw 
Or rather, what I saw was a community of people curious and open to embracing an honest and inclusive monetary system that could reduce barriers to wealth and build financial freedom. When I look back one year later, Bitcoin is paving the way for a brighter financial future for the people who believe in Bitcoin for freedom and equal financial access. There's still work to be done. We know that it begins and ends with education. This will continue to be at the forefront of all that we do in El Salvador and our educational initiatives across the globe. Bitcoin for the 100 is a collection of these stories and use cases that prove that Bitcoin is truly for the 100%. From the small community of Isla Tasajera to a student on the path to self-sovereignty, below are the voices of people who are embracing Bitcoin for greater financial freedom. And that is a statement made by Renata Rodriguez, global community and education lead from the company named Paxful. That would be Ray Paxful or, uh, well, Ray Youssef's um, outfit out of Africa, but they have migrated some of their uh, some of their stuff that they're doing out into Central America to help the Bitcoin Beach Initiative in El Salvador and the people down there. So now let's get into some of these. Bitcoin for my community, Don Walter, Isla Tasajera, El Salvador. Don first heard about Bitcoin when the Built with Bitcoin Foundation made its way to Isla Tasajera, where he lives. Before the foundation arrived, Don and other residents only knew that the government had given citizens a bit of BTC, but they didn't know what to do with it. Quote, due to the difficulty of internet connection and therefore a lack of knowledge, we didn't know much about Bitcoin, he said. With the arrival of the foundation, Don and his neighbors received Bitcoin education, training, and an overall improvement of payment transactions, purchases, and sales. As for Don himself, he prides himself on managing to learn everything that Bitcoin can do for the community. Don has seen firsthand how Bitcoin can change the lives of his community through new opportunities. Quote, Bitcoin has brought us great opportunities, especially the positive impact it's had on the San Rafael Tassajera Canton School Center, he said. The students and teachers of the school had a hard time getting to and from the school because of its location on the island. Because of a generous donation, they don't need to worry about how they'll get to school anymore. The Built with Bitcoin Foundation and Bitcoin Magazine donated a boat to the community to make the school more accessible. Don's new knowledge of Bitcoin has motivated him to learn more about how he can use it in his everyday life to better himself and the community around him. He remains hopeful that Bitcoin will continue to advance not only his community, but also the world as a whole. Bitcoin will make things easier and more accessible for all of us, he said. Now, second story, Bitcoin for inclusion. Nathalie Maria Cortez San Salvador, El Salvador. While studying international economics at Universidad Francisco Gavidia, or UFG, Nathalie decided to take a leap of faith and signed up for the first campus tour that Paxful held in the country to teach students about Bitcoin and the power of peer-to-peer technology. Nathalie walked away from the seminar excited and hopeful for both herself and her community. Quote, Bitcoin is a huge strategy to grow and develop the dichotomy of the Salvadorans, she said. A few months after the seminar, Paxful announced the opening of La Casa del Bitcoin in El Salvador, home to free Bitcoin education for anyone. Nathalie knew she needed to be a part of that. On opening day of La Casa del Bitcoin, Nathalie got a sneak peek of what was to come. Bitcoin is about financial inclusion and we have a place to learn about it, she said. From the classrooms to the working stations, anyone can find their place at La Casa del Bitcoin. Nathalie 
has made it her personal mission to further educate those around her about the power Bitcoin holds. Quote, I currently advise family and relatives on the subject of Bitcoin because some people do not have access to banking or the traditional financial system. And so this is only two stories from this Bitcoin for the 100. And let's see if I can get you that site. Bitcoin for the 100 is going to be Bitcoin for the 100 and 100 is the numbers 100.com, all one word. That's Bitcoin for the 100.com if you want to go read more about that. So there you go. Uh, do, 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 do. Lithuania aims to tighten crypto regulation and ban anonymous accounts. I don't know why countries hate their citizenry so much. It's almost like we're a bother to the government. But you got to ask yourself, why the hell was the government created in the first place? Eh. You might want to study up on something called the Iron Law of Bureaucracy. Just saying, Google that. Do that. If you got, if you got some time today, Google the Iron Law of Bureaucracy. And you'll understand why governments that were created by and for the people eventually morph into something that hates the people and wants to see them either subjugated or flat-ass dead. Again, Lithuania aims to tighten crypto regulation and ban anonymous accounts. David Atlee writing for Cointelegraph in its efforts to fight money laundering, which is bullshit, and the possible schemes of Russian elites circumventing financial sanctions, also bullshit, the 2.8 million person nation of Lithuania is planning to tighten its security over crypto. As the local Ministry of Finance announced on Wednesday, various ministries of the Lithuanian government approved legal amendments to anti-money laundering and counterfeiting the financing of terrorism in the crypto sector. Sorry, countering, <laughs> countering the financing of terrorism in the crypto sector. The amendments to the current law, should they later be approved by the CMIS, Lithuania's legislature would stiffen the guidelines for user identification and prohibit anonymous accounts. Try to figure out a way not to use exchanges, ladies and gentlemen. The new regulations would also tighten up demands for exchange operators from January the 1st, 2023. They will be obliged to register as a corporate body with nominal capital amounting to no less than 125,000 euro. The senior management of such companies would have to be permanent residents of Lithuania. The announcement justifies the tightening or tightened regulations with the accelerating growth of the crypto industry and specific geopolitical risks. Quote, more nuanced regulation of the suppliers of crypto services is also important considering the international regulatory tendencies and the geopolitical situation in the region when many Western countries impose financial and other sanctions on Russian Federation and Belarus, end quote. In her official commentary, Minister of Finance, however you pronounce her damn name, explained that the steps on the national level are taken in accordance with the upcoming pan-European regulations. The announcement underscores the swift rise of crypto companies in the country after regulatory tightening in neighboring Estonia. There were only eight new crypto companies in 2020, while 2021 saw the appearance of 188 new entities. <laughs> Estonia announced its update on the AML Act in September of 2021. The updated law effectively banned non-custodial software wallets, good luck with that, and decentralized finance products, good luck with that also. In April of 2022, the European Parliament approved an AML regulatory package that could place severe disclosure requirements 
on transactions between non-custodial wallets and crypto exchanges in the European Union. Speaking to Cointelegraph, a representative of the Ministry of Finance specified that the new legislation doesn't intend to close doors to any international crypto firms, but rather stresses that these businesses must have sound business models and comply with the relevant regulations. Oh, God. You know, define a sound business model. I know that you know what that is. But when we're talking about government saying, well, you got to have a sound business model, you know that they're talking directly to their cronies saying, look, just, I don't know, make the language sound professional, put a tie on the suit speak and we'll pass it. But everybody else, yeah, screw you. That's what that means. Okay, quote, the new requirement for crypto companies to have a senior manager that would be a permanent resident of Lithuania is oriented towards better communication with supervisory institutions and ensuring the connection to the local market, end quote. As the speaker explained, the draft law is still to be adopted by the parliament. Amendments to the law are expected to enter into force on November the 1st of this year. The majority of key provisions would take effect from January the 1st of next year, 2023. All right, so if you're a crypto company, you got to have somebody that's living in Lithuania. That, uh, uh, you know, on the face of it, that's not so bad. That I don't mind. I mean, you know, I, I get it. You know, countries want you to have some kind of skin in the game. You can't just, <clears throat> you know, it's not like, um, oh, who is it? Massachusetts. It's wherever there, there's a New Hampshire, I think, is this state where all the uh, corporations in the United States are incorporated. They're incorporated in New Hampshire, but they don't do any business there. You know, so I get that part. But the banning of of private keys essentially is what they were saying on the second part. No, that's not, that's just not going to work, but it does bring up a certain point. This is yet another European country that is being told what to do. And they are doing it with this whole AML terror, you know, terrorist financing bullshit, because it is exactly that it is bullshit and it's destroyed Europe. Europe is in a shambles right now, and it's just going to get worse as Putin keeps turning off the gas, which he is, in fact, doing at this particular time. But this brings me to a point. The president of Mexico yesterday said he was going to go talk to our president, Mr. Potato Head, and he was going to push for a European Union-style situation in the Americas, where South America, all the countries of South America, Central America and North America basically have one regulatory body like the EU Commission? My answer to that is no, because we have seen what the hell happened over in, in Europe, and I don't want to have anything to do with that shit. Personally, Biden is going, I would imagine that Biden is going to pay lip service to that shit, and he's probably going to make a big push, and we'll hear about it for about a year, and then it will die like it did the last time, because if you don't remember, this shit has come up a few times before, but still. These assholes are just, they are just going to keep pushing. They're going to keep pushing. And I'm getting tired of having to push back. Yesterday's show, I read a whole piece, a very long one, about financial burnout. You know, we probably need to talk about governmental or, or citizenship burnout. I mean, that's, I think that that's real. When you're constantly having to battle your own government, and you're constantly watching your comrades fall away because they're just tired of fighting and they just go along to get along, that's going to cause 
burnout just like having to battle the financial bullshit. Just like having to, you know, battle people being dicks at work all the time. You know, another word for it is toxic workplace, but that's a little bit on the woke side still though. That shit happens. When you're working for a place and people are just assholes and you you're 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 never complimented, you're only like, you know, burnt you're you're burned on the fucking bridge every time you it even looks like you make a mistake and that's all you ever get. That's toxic. I'm sorry, it just is. Nobody wants to deal with that shit. So these burnouts are happening all over the place. It's not just financial burnout. It's going to be citizenship burnout. It's toxic workplace burnout. It's like dealing with, I don't know, it's probably even people in homeowner associations are getting burned out because they can't paint their door red or whatever, you know, because that's what a homeowners association does. It's like yet one more layer of government, except this time by a bunch of blue haired decrepit old yaks that just decide that they don't want you to have a garden in your yard. I don't know. It's just the burnout is amongst us. So we got to deal with that shit too. And climate burnout is probably going to be a thing as well. Climate advocate CFTC chair wants to change Bitcoin. Oh, here it comes. Namcios writing it for Bitcoin magazine. Commodity Futures Trading Commission chair Rostin Benham seemingly wants to leverage its probable future position as watchdog of the Bitcoin market to encourage a reduction of the peer-to-peer currency's energy use and incentivize consumers to find less energy-intensive alternatives. The regulating agency will oversee Bitcoin if the Lummis-Gillibrand landmark legislation gets approved. Let's read that again so you understand what's going on. The regulating agency will oversee Bitcoin if the Lummis-Gillibrand landmark legislation gets approved. The bill which was introduced yesterday, needs to go through four committees in the Senate before being put to a vote on the Senate floor. Quote, in terms of the relationship between the current use case of cryptocurrencies and the energy consumption of mining, I think there's a pretty significant dislocation right now and we need to remove that dislocation, Benham said in a live interview with the Washington Post on Wednesday. Bitcoin's energy consumption has been debated fiercely since last year when Tesla stopped accepting payments in BTC for its electric vehicles. A couple of months after enabling that option, the carmaker CEO Elon Musk frust- or sorry, tweeted at the time that the decision arose from sustainability concerns in relation to Bitcoin mining and its associated emissions. Benham hinted at two avenues that the regulatory body could explore to make the case for a different Bitcoin for a different Bitcoin. If it received the extra powers provision under Lemus-Gillibrand, the backboning technology and consumer behavior. Quote, on the one hand, we need the industry to transition and change and understand that the energy consumption is just too big. But we also need consumers to understand and appreciate what's at stake so that through economic incentives, they can steer their choice away from the more energy consumptive behavior, he said. Lummis Gillibrand, also called the Responsible Financial Innovation Act, grants the CFTC with exclusive jurisdiction over the spot markets of digital currencies classified as commodities, which would be the majority of existing coins per the current text, including Bitcoin. As a result, Bitcoin exchanges would need to register with the CFTC to provide the services they provide today for U.S. consumers as well as abide by specific rules set by the regulator in areas such as custody, customer protection, prevention of market manipulation, and information sharing. 
According to Branham's claim or Benham's claims, <clears throat> the CFTC could leverage its regulatory umbrella over exchanges to create an information flow to consumers about a myriad of topics related to cryptocurrencies, including energy usage. Quote, and that is sort of an age-old theory that if we create that information flow, <clears throat> red propaganda, incentives and disincentives will move the market in the right direction. And given the climate crisis, which there is none, and the issues around climate change, I think that with the right and accurate disclosures, i.e. propaganda, incentives will move people away from that energy-consuming behavior. End quote. Fucking Nazi. Goebbels used this technique the control of information and the flow to which it goes. This is nothing but German Nazi era propaganda. Benham has been personally involved in advocacy about climate change related issues in the context of financial markets in the past because he is a freaking cuck. Before he was named chairman in January 2021, Benham served as a commissioner for the CFTC since September of 2017, a time during which he spearheaded the Climatic Related Market Risk Subcommittee of the Market Risk Advisory Committee. The subcommittee's efforts culminated in the release of the Managing Climate Risk in the United States Financial System report back in September of 2020. Quote, the central message of this report is that U.S. financial regulators must recognize that climate change poses serious emerging risks to the U.S. financial system, and they should move urgently and decisively to measure, understand, and address these risks. The report's executive summary read, the report makes policy suggestions in regard to climate change in the U.S., including establishing a price on carbon, which it said is the single most important step to managing climate risk and drive the appropriate allocation of capital. Other suggestions include principles for the development of rules on climate risk disclosures, such as having them to be specific and complete and comparable among companies within a sector, industry, or portfolio to inform investor decision. Quote, effective and well-functioning markets should allocate capital efficiently to net zero emission investments, spur innovation, and create and preserve quality jobs in a growing net zero economy, the report reads. These recommendations seek to meet these goals by improving the functioning of markets by reducing structural barriers and catalyzing private sector innovation, end quote. Given Benham's comments during the interview, it seems the CFTC chairman is interested in cryptocurrency and blockchain, but lacks, you know, foundational knowledge about Bitcoin. Not only is Bitcoin's innovation arguably proof of work, a change of proof of stake deemed as a greener alternative could undermine most of the P2P currency's features. No, not could, will, but won't. Why? Because my node will never, ever accept that shit. And they can all go eat a bag of dicks. While it's unclear whether Benham would follow suit on his comments and push changes on the technological side, which he won't because he can't, and on the consumer behavior front, that's the only place that they got, the community should remain vigilant and above all, active in educating regulators, lawmakers, and industry players on the benefits of Bitcoin and the context in which its energy usage should be studied. Okay. Yes, my node is never going to accept any change to the consensus rules. It's never going to do that. And I might start running multiple nodes. Not that that's really going to matter, but just for my own self-satisfaction, just knowing that I got four or five 
uh, nodes that are all different but are all enforcing the same consensus rules and none of them will ever change. If they want to do this, all that's going to end up is that you're going to have a government-sponsored fork of Bitcoin. Yeah, you saw what happened to Roger Ver's. And then, and then BSV forked off from Roger Ver's uh, B-Trash chain. And you saw what happened to both of those. And it took a while. I mean, it's like it's taken Roger Ver's shit chain and BSV's shit chain a couple of years uh, to reach the, to plumb the depths of idiocy that it has finally gotten to at around like, you know, a hundred bucks and for BSV under a hundred bucks. A government shit chain fork of Bitcoin is going to result in a much longer degraded pathway for the same price. If you're planning on buying it, you're just, you might as well just keep all your money in cash and let inflation do the job because that's all that's going to happen. Nobody cares at this point about what the government is going to do. And I think nobody, not that nobody cares. That's a stupid statement. Some, a lot of people care. I don't give a shit because I know what's coming. There's going to be more features on my node. Start nine labs and their uh, hardware is they're just going to continuously develop apps where all of a sudden the exchange quote unquote exchange is just living on my node and is part of a network of a whole bunch of other nodes. And it's just more and more decentralization is coming. Ladies and gentlemen, it's coming. And these guys are going to push it. And I'd never heard about Beeman before, but Gary Gensler apparently also gave a statement that Bitcoin is just going to have to change. No, no, it's not, Gary. You can make a fork if you want. You go do that. And I will revel in the fact that I am not going to participate. And in fact, if you make a, if you do the fork the right way, and you make a snapshot of everything that's happened right up to that point, then I will immediately sell my coins on the open market for actual, real Bitcoin. It, unless you're a Bitcoin miner in Washington, <clears throat> you'll uh, see those uh, transactions, but uh, Washington's probably gonna lose all their miners because <coughs> Bitcoin miners will see a 29% rate hike on hydroelectric power in Washington. <laughs> Decrypt.co, Stacy Elliott. The promise of cheap hydroelectric power for Bitcoin miners in Washington state has started to fade. A 29% rate hike for hydroelectric power in Chelan County created specifically for cryptocurrency miners went into effect on June the 1st. The miners used to pay a uh, lower high density load rate for their electricity, but now they'll pay a newly created cryptocurrency rate known as Rate 36, yeah, they actually named it, quote, what we did as a commission and what we did as a utility was industry leading to create a new rate for this type of demand. Gary Arsenault, a Chillin County Public Utility Director, aka Administrator, uh, told local news outlet KPQ, Washington State accounted for about two-thirds of all hydroelectric power generated in the United States in 2020. According to the Energy Information Administration, the state's Grand Coulee Dam, located on the Columbia River in Grant and Okanagan counties, powers enough energy to equal 6,809 megawatts. That's a shit ton, dude. The cheap and renewable hydroelectric power was made Washington, has made Washington State a popular destination for Bitcoin miners as well. 
Washington State accounted for 4% of the total U.S. hash rate in December, according to the Cambridge Center for Alternative Finance. Hash rate is measure, it, well, we don't need, you know what hash rate is. Washington's share of U.S. hash rate isn't the biggest by a long shot. Georgia accounts for 31%, and Texas and Kentucky for 11% each. I had no idea that Georgia was that high. And New York generates 10%, but probably not for very much longer. Although that could soon change if New York Governor Kathy Hochul signs a two-year crypto mining moratorium into law. Yeah, that's what I was talking about. She's expected to veto or sign the bill next week. Last year, publicly traded Canadian Bitcoin miner Bitfarms acquired a 24-megawatt Washington facility that is powered by the Grant County Public Utility District. The facility generates 17% of the power required to run Bitfarms' entire 3.4 exahash operation, which includes Quebec, Canada, and Paraguay. But now there's been some pushback. KPQ has also reported that nearby Douglas County has stopped allowing new Bitcoin miners to set up operations there because they already consume 25% of the country's available energy. Still, the Chelan County rate hike won't ban crypto miners. For companies that have made substantial investments <clears throat> in their mining facilities, officials have approved transition plans to gradually increase rates over the next two years. That's not going to help, dude. Quote, we need to have some sort of transition. That's important for business. PUD Commissioner and Congdon told the Wenatchee World on Tuesday. Quote, I understand how businesses need that in order to plan. Yeah, I'll bet she's never actually run a business herself. Even with transition plans in place, there's been criticism from the crypto industry. Malachi Salcedo, CEO of Salcedo Enterprises, told the local news outlet that the new rate will force him to reconfigure his three Chelan County crypto mining facilities into data farms. He has four other crypto mining facilities, two in Douglas County and two in Grant County. Under the new pricing plan, Salcedo can keep his Chelan factory on the lower high-density energy rate if he processes data instead of mining crypto. The data processing uses the same amount of power as crypto mining, he told the Wenatchee World, however you pronounce it, quote, do you really want to be in the business of regulating what kind of processing happens on servers in your territory, Salcedo said. Let's read that one more time. Do you really want to be in the business of regulating what kind of computer processing happens on servers in your territory? Because that's what's going on. There are more than, there's more than one kind of on-ramp and off-ramp that's regulated, right? And this is, this is why we're not going to get rid of the proof of work versus proof of stake fight in, for any time soon. They're going to do this all over the place except in places like Texas and Florida and any other state that is looking at what they're beholden to when it comes to the lunacy that's been committed over the last 70 years by the United States federal government. Those states that recognize that lunacy will be the places that Bitcoin miners go. And at one point or another, I figured the United States is going to balkanize, the federal government is going to collapse, and states will either group with other states or larger states like Texas, Florida, and California will just go their own way. And the states that are smart will readopt the Constitution of the United States as the guiding principle for their own country, which was formerly a state of the United States. But balkanization is probably going to happen. This, this shit can't, can't continue for very much longer. That said, the fight 
from proof of work and proof between proof of work and proof of stake is not going to end because proof of stake is so easily controlled by those in power. Proof of work is not. So where do you want to, where can you tighten, where can you tighten up if you really want to control this shit? Power. You do it with power. But as they do this, they demonstrate how they're not giving a shit about what you want to do with that power. They're going to tell you, and this, and honestly, this is the their entry point. Like, let's say it's 100% successful. The United States stays in power. All the states stay together, and every single one of them is banned any kind of usage of proof of work mining for, for Bitcoin. You can't use it. You can't spend it. They find out that you have it. You go to prison. They do the most draconian bullshit ever, which I really don't think is possible at this stage, but let's just say that. After that, they'll tell you when and where you can turn on your refrigerator. They'll monitor it and say, well, you know, 54 degrees will keep food. You know, 50 degrees will keep food. Do you really need it at 38? Do you really need your your freezer at right at freezing? And, you know, your your ice cream can be a little soft and they'll just tell you what to do. And how will they do that? New refrigerators are already coming with microprocessors. They're, they're, they've already been there. If they're Bluetooth enabled and somehow or another, they're talking to, you know, the internet through your, your Wi-Fi router and you didn't set that up, that can happen. That's a, that's a backdoor, right? I'm telling you, man, you let this shit happen at the head of this. And then at, all of a sudden, when you get to, tail, to the tail of the animal, you're going to be wishing you had just killed it, roasted it, and ate it instead of listening to its bullshit. Let's run the numbers. Flammable liquids, meh. West Texas Intermediate down four, no, not four, <clears throat> 0.44% to $121.57. Not a whole lot of change. Brent North Sea is down eh, a third of a point, $123.17. Natural gas, after a 65 to 7% decline yesterday at very early this morning, has rebounded 2.38%. It's back up to $8.90 per thousand cubic feet. Gasoline is up a full point to $4.26. Yesterday was at $4.20 gold. And the rest of the shiny metal rocks are having problems today. And uh, Bitcoin is probably too. Uh, gold is down, uh, actually gold is down the exact same as West Texas, 0.44% to $1,848.30. Uh, silver is down almost two points. Platinum is down over four points. Copper is down almost two points. Palladium is down just over a full point. Agricultural futures are kind of mixed. The biggest loser today is chocolate, down almost a full point. And the biggest winter uh, winner is, uh, oh, Soy Boys won it today, 2.44% to the upside for soybeans, followed directly by corn at 1.99% to the upside. Dow down 0.4%, S&P down over a half a point, NASDAQ down 0.46%, S&P mini is down three quarters of a point. Holy shit. Now, what, what's going on with Bitcoin Looks like it's around 30195 bucks. That's after 700000 Bitcoin have changed hands in the last 24 hours. Uh, 2.66 BTC is the average transaction value. Median transaction value, 0.018 BTC or 550 bucks. 
block times are still very low, eight minutes and 50 seconds. 0.064 BTC taken in fees on a per block basis, 10 and a half BTC taken in fees overall in the last 24 hours. And with a 4.39% jump in hash rate, we're at 258.64 exahashes per second. Your shitcoin indicator is Doge at eight United States pennies. That tells you what the rest of the shitcoin market is doing. 596 transactions waiting on one block to clear. We have a $575.3 billion market cap. That's 4.73% of gold's market cap. And if you so choose, you may purchase 16.4 ounces of shiny metal rocks with your one Bitcoin, of which there are 19,062,754 Point six eight of in three thousand nine hundred and eighty seven point six of those are in the Lightning Network valued at one hundred and twenty point three million dollars, being run over seventeen thousand one hundred thirty four nodes. We can see sporting eighty four thousand eighty six payment channels, and seventy one point eight percent of all of it's being run over Tor's associated twelve thousand one hundred and ten Lightning Network nodes, or at least the ones that we can see. There's Vitals. Welcome to part two of the news you can use. Bitcoin Magazine has this one from Sean Amick. Food chain Everbowl accepts franchise fee payment in Bitcoin. Okay, so they put their money where their mouth is. Finally, if you'll remember a couple of months ago, uh, Everbowl uh, announced that they were getting on a Bitcoin standard. Let's see uh, how things have changed. California-based superfood franchise Everbowl just had its first franchisee pay fees in Bitcoin, according to a press release. Josh Smith, an Everbowl franchise owner building out two stores in Ohio, was the first person to take advantage of Everbowl's previously announced offering, allowing owners within the franchise to pay in Bitcoin. Quote, allowing prospective franchisees to pay their franchise fees with Bitcoin gives our franchisees a measure of flexibility by allowing them to put their digital assets to work, founder and CEO Jeff Finster stated. Earlier this year, on February the 4th, the company announced it was adopting a Bitcoin standard, which would see Everbull convert its cash holdings into Bitcoin. Quote, a disruptive growth company should always position itself ahead of the pack and take the lead by adopting new technologies earlier rather than later, Finster explained at the time. Quote, we believe it's a matter of when, not if, that the Bitcoin standard will become the gold standard. On February the 23rd, Everbull made another announcement which would allow corporate employees of the company to receive a portion of their paycheck in Bitcoin. Quote, the highest U.S. inflation rate in four decades and the excessive debasement of the United States dollar have contributed to Everbull's move to become an early adopter of the Bitcoin standard at the corporate level. Finster said at the time, the fast-paced restaurant chain was first established in 2016 in Southern California and has since risen to 48 locations. After Smith builds out his stores, the company looks to have at least 50 active locations. Not bad. I, I wonder when Tahini's is going to start doing franchise ownership. I don't know if they're doing it or not. Uh, if somebody knows, uh, could you let me know? If not, the question is when, and when, then the question becomes, will they allow uh, prospective franchise, uh, franchisee owners to pay in Bitcoin? I actually might be interested. 
I, I don't know why, but I, I might be interested in doing that. I might decide to go work the night shift at Tahini's and, and work alongside my buddy, Michael Saylor. All right, optimism, getting hacked. Brian Neuer tells us about it, <clears throat> Coin Telegraph. Optimism loses 20 million tokens after L1 and L2 confusion was exploited. <laughs> the honeymoon period for the optimism. And this, by the way, this is for Ethereum. All right, this is Ethereum's layer two. The honeymoon period for the optimism layer two scaling solution has been cut short as an exploit in its market makers smart contract led to the loss of 20 million OP tokens. Uh, the exploit apparently took place back on May the 26th, but it's only just been reported to the community. That's a red flag. Just saying 1 million tokens valued at $1.3 million were sold on Sunday. An additional 1 million tokens valued at about $730,000 were transferred to Vitalik Buterin's Ethereum address on Optimism earlier today at 12.26 a.m. UTC. The remaining tokens are dormant for now, but could be sold at any time or used to sway governance decisions. OP tokens are the native token for the Optimism Layer 2 or L2 blockchain, and a portion of the supply was airdropped to network users on June the 1st. L2 solutions help alleviate congestion on a Layer 1 blockchain such as Ethereum. A summary of events for the from the Optimism team on Thursday detailed how the 20 million OP tokens were intended to be used by the Wintermute crypto market-making firm. After sending two test transactions, the Optimism team sent the full amount of tokens. However, Wintermute discovered that it could not access the tokens because the smart contract it used to accept the tokens was still on Layer 1, or the L1, and had not been updated to be deployed on Optimism. This technical oversight opened the contract up to an attack in which a bad actor took control of the contract on the layer on the layer two themselves. As soon as Wintermute became aware of the problem, it began a recovery operation with the goal to deploy the L1 multi-sig contract to the same address on L2, but its attempts to remedy the situation were sadly too late. Quote, an attacker was able to deploy the multi-sig to L2 with different initialization parameters before the recovery operation was completed and took control of the 20 million OP tokens, end quote. A multi-sig contract requires the approval of multiple key holders to execute the transaction. In a Thursday message to the Optimism community, which were probably not so optimistic, Wintermute took full responsibility for the exploit. The firm stated that it would perform OP buybacks equal to the amount the exploiter sells as a means of making its best efforts to smoothen the effects of price volatility. Ah, Wintermute has also offered to accept the incident as a white hat exploit. If the hacker agreed to return 19 million tokens within one week, this offer was made before the hacker transferred another million tokens. Replies to Wintermute's messages mostly applauded the firm for its transparency in revealing the issue and for accepting the blame for what happened. In the short term, the Optimism team has granted Wintermute an additional 20 million OP grants so that they can continue their work as things unfold. But the team also pointed out that such market-making efforts are temporary. Quote, The community should not expect or rely on the Optimism Foundation to support liquidity provisioning efforts in the future. End quote. Chris Bleck, host of the Proof of Decentralization podcast, said that the team had considered but rejected regaining control of the stolen funds by performing a network upgrade. 
This meant that, in his view, optimism, like most decentralized finance product projects with admin keys, is in fact dangerously centralized. Bleck also suggested that the most obvious explanation for exploits involves those most closely involved, meaning someone involved with Wintermute may have performed the attack themselves. He asked, why is everyone in this space always so opposed to vetting the most obvious possibilities? There is no evidence at this stage to support that theory. OP investors have responded negatively to the update as the token price is down 31.2%, trading at 76 cents over the past 24 hours, according to CoinGecko. All right, so there's the end of the article. <clears throat> the, the optimism hack at this point could be two things, honestly. And it makes me wonder about the rest of, the, of, of that bullshit ecosystem that we know as DeFi. You know, when these things get deployed and something like this, you know, Wintermute going, oh shit, y'all were still on layer one and didn't didn't uh, do the address for layer two, so we can't get a hold of it. And then, uh, you know, when they tried to remedy the situation, the deed was already done. Somebody had come in and already figured out how to get how to swipe those coins and pull them off of layer one and keep them for themselves. Now, I look at that and I wonder, I can definitely see how somebody could say it had to be an insider. Somebody had to know the timing, did they? Or can you look at the blockchain with a bot and have a set of parameters where you become alerted if and only if those parameters are met? Like let's say you knew because you looked at the architecture of this bullshit chain that if something like this were to occur, then you get an alert. So you're like, I don't know, you're eating, you're eating somewhere and you get something on your phone. And you're like, ah, oh, fuck, man, I got, you know, I, 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 I got to get home so I can, I don't know, or, or do it on my phone or whatever. Okay. Laptop outside or the, you know, you're at the coffee shop and you've got your laptop and you're like, oh, fuck, these idiots screwed up. I'll go ahead and just take all their shit. So it doesn't necessarily need to be an insider. Now, I don't know if you can write a bot that looks at transactions on chain that is set to parameters. But honestly, if you can't, that would be very odd. Of course you can. Of course you can. So it doesn't have to be directly an insider. It doesn't have to be somebody working at Wintermute or Optimism or something or, or one of the developers of Optimism. It doesn't have to be those guys. It can just simply be somebody's going, I know this eventually is going to happen because if I model this out, this mistake is bound to happen. And I'm going to set parameters for an alert for when that happens. And oh, lo and behold, here it's happened. I know exactly what to do because I've already gamed all this shit out. It doesn't need to be an insider, but it doesn't make it any less dangerous. Stay away from this shit. DeFi has no business in your portfolio at this time. I'm just saying, man, not investment advice. But Jack Dorsey and Jay-Z have announced the Bitcoin Academy in Brooklyn, New York. Bitcoin Magazine, Sean Amick tells us more. Jack Dorsey, founder of Bitcoin financial services company Block One, or sorry, Block One, Block Inc. And Sean Jay-Z Carter have partnered to fund the Bitcoin Academy to provide financial education and empowerment to the community in which Jay-Z grew up, Dorsey announced. This educational program will take place in Brooklyn, New York for Marcy House residents with the intention of providing the community with the necessary tools to achieve financial independence, inclusion, and literacy in the place that Jay-Z grew up. Quote, education is where we start, 
this isn't just about Bitcoin. It's about long-term thinking, local economies, and self-confidence, Dorsey said in a reply to his announcement. Courses are free to all Marcy residents, including children, and to make it even easier, we're providing devices and data plans for all who need it. Classes in session from June the 22nd through September the 7th for all Marcy residents, and the classes will be held in person as well as online. Should enrollees choose to attend the twice-weekly in-person class, dinner will also be provided. MiFi, M-I-F-I, devices will be provided to those attending, and a one-year data plan will also be given to those in attendance, as well as smartphones if needed. <clears throat> the Academy will also be offering Crypto Kids Camp, which will provide programming courses on two Saturdays for Marcy kids aged 5 through 17. This initiative was made in collaboration with the Sean Carter Foundation, Cash App, Black Bitcoin Billionaire, and the Crypto Blockchain Plug. Personal grants were provided from Jay-Z and Jack Dorsey. The Sean Carter Foundation has a stated mission of providing aid to individuals in socioeconomic hardship through continued education and post-secondary institutions. All right, well, there you go, man. You know, say what you know, say what you want about Jay-Z, but clearly he's, you know, lending a hand to his old neighborhood, which, yeah, we probably should really be doing that. If you come from a, you know, if you come from a neighborhood that is all jacked up, and you can provide help back to that neighborhood, do it. If you come from a neighborhood that was, you know, affluent and has remained affluent and doesn't have the kind of problems, maybe, you know, maybe help somebody who did come from a jacked up neighborhood and help them out or something like that. Uh, this is going to be the future. We got to, I mean, it's like, we. okay, here it is. Here's the statement. And I'm just probably going to be very unpopular. The poor is the cannon fodder that government use against the rich. And the more that the government can force poor people to become poorer and rich people to become richer, they're not doing it because they like the rich people and they hate the poor people. They're doing it because they hate the rich people. And they want the poor people to finally have a reason, to finally get enough to pull something out of their hat like, French Revolution style shit. Okay, I don't know if that's exactly what's going on, but it sure does look that way, right? Pulling the people not just out of poverty, right, but giving them an education so that they remain out of poverty all through their own machinations. That's the way to do this shit. And it doesn't even have anything to do with Bitcoin, honestly. You can do this shit with anything. Bitcoin happens to be the best tool that we have and that we will have for the foreseeable future to be able to give people a reason to try. To try from our side to do it. And, and do it by it being, you know, pony up and, and go to your old neighborhood and see if you can't help out a little bit. Especially if you're filthy fucking rich. Or if you're filthy fucking rich and you came from a neighborhood that's filthy fucking rich, then go find somebody that's filthy fucking poor in their neighborhood. Help them out. Because if we can get these people out of a place where they feel hopeless, they will be less inclined to do the bidding of the government that put them there. And that's why they put them there. They're an army just waiting to happen. They're an army just waiting to happen. I'm telling you, man, it's not their, not their fault. This shit was done to them. This shit was definitely done to them. Now, let's see here. Oh, six reasons. I love this one. 
six reasons why you want to run a Bitcoin node. And this is by our friend Armin the Parman. If you don't know him on Twitter, just look for Armin the Parman, all one word. Let me explain quickly that a Bitcoin node is a piece of software and it has some important jobs. One, it keeps a copy of the blockchain, one of many copies out there. Two, connect with other nodes, forming a network of communication which propagates transactions Transactions are kept in a mempool, the queue of transactions waiting to be included in the blockchain. Three, it checks that all additions to the blockchain are indeed valid and reject those that are not valid. Four, provides details about the blockchain, such as balances to other types of software that ask, like wallets. Five, provides a copy of the blockchain to any new node that wants to join in. The new node then independently checks that every transaction in the copy it receives is valid. It does not actually trust the connected node. To run a node, you download Bitcoin Core software and then let it copy the blockchain from another node and your node verifies each block itself. You then leave it on and new blocks are received roughly every 10 minutes and your node will check if that block is valid. And if so, it will add it to its own copy of the blockchain. A dodgy block gets rejected, not because everyone else rejects it and not because everyone copies their neighbor, but because the block is invalid according to the rules contained in the Bitcoin Core software and everyone else that is running the same software will also reject that dodgy block. Your Bitcoin wallet does not keep a copy of the blockchain and is usually separate from Bitcoin Core, although Bitcoin Core does have a wallet feature. Your wallet just holds your keys. It has to ask a Bitcoin node, hey, Mr. Node, this address of mine, does it have any Bitcoin in it? Technically, that's not quite accurate, but it's sufficient for now. Running your own Bitcoin node means that you don't have to ask other people what their copy of Bitcoin Core is doing. It's your own copy of Bitcoin Core, and you don't need to trust other people. The wallet can ask your copy of the Bitcoin blockchain, making the digital connection between your wallet and node is the technically challenging and critical part, not just running the node, an article for another day. So with that preamble done, let's explain why it's important to run your own node. Number one. When your wallet tells you your balance, it asks a random public Bitcoin node what balance each of your addresses contains and gives you the results and you see your total Bitcoin in that wallet. Even empty addresses you haven't used get queried. Surveillance companies run some of these nodes. What the hell? Yeah, it, it's true. They do run some of those nodes. You are telling a random entity, possibly a surveillance company, your IP address, which can be used to identify you. And that have Bitcoin, sorry, and that, okay, it's a bad sentence, and that have Bitcoin wallet and all your current and future addresses and all the balances of all those addresses now and later. Providing this information to surveillance companies is dangerous for many reasons. Reason number two, when you sell something, the buyer can potentially manipulate which node your wallet connects to. They can send you counterfeit Bitcoin and your wallet will think it's received real Bitcoin because the malicious node lied to your wallet. Granted, it's unlikely, but the fact that you can prevent it by running your own node makes the development of this kind of attack not interesting or fruitful at all. What actually happens with this attack, the scammer somehow gets your Bitcoin wallet to read the wrong blockchain from a malicious node. He moves supposed Bitcoin on that blockchain, not the real one, and your wallet thinks you've been paid. 
If you get scammed in this way, you may accept the counterfeit as final payment and may send goods in exchange for these fake Bitcoin. One day, when you connect to a genuine Bitcoin node, your wallet will show that you never, in fact, received that Bitcoin. Your balance will be lower than what you thought it should be because the fake transfer never existed on the actual Bitcoin blockchain. You can prevent this by connecting your wallet to a node that you trust, but even better is to connect to your own node. Don't trust Verify. That's the Bitcoiners mantra. Not doing this is kind of like accepting gold as payment and asking a random person to use their XRF analyzer to check the gold you received is real. You don't know if that random person is on the side of the buyer or honest. You might ask, no trust? Wait, aren't I trusting Bitcoin Core when I download it? How do I know that's not fake? Well, yes and no. There are ways to verify that the software you downloaded is genuine, but again, that's not for this article. Reason three, if a group of people banded together as they did in 2017 and decided to try and change the rules of how Bitcoin works, for example, increasing the block size, or worse, increasing the supply, just an example, supply change wasn't the issue in 2017, you can choose to not upgrade your node to the new system and keep your current node. If you are more than the minority, there will be a pool of people running the unchanged Bitcoin core and a pool of people running the changed version, which is known as a fork. This is how Bitcoin Cash was born. The new version was unanimously rejected, but those that lost the war kept running their nose, nodes and mining Bitcoin Cash as well. Those who owned Bitcoin then also owned Bitcoin Cash. For a given address, there was one balance on the Bitcoin blockchain and one balance on the Bitcoin Cash blockchain. If you didn't run your own node, you had no say in this war and your wallet might have connected to a Bitcoin Cash node and somebody might have paid you in Bitcoin Cash instead of Bitcoin. You then might have given up your goods in exchange for coins that didn't meet the monetary policy that you preferred. Reason number four. If you run a node and leave it on 24 hours a day, this helps the network. The more nodes that are running, the faster transactions can propagate for everyone and the harder it is to shut down Bitcoin. To kill Bitcoin, every single copy of the blockchain must be destroyed. I'm going to pause right there and say that that's not entirely correct. Um, well, okay, technically it's correct. But the blockchain itself will stop running if there's only one node on the network, be it a miner or an actual just regular old Bitcoin mode that is a non-mining node, okay? There's kind of two kinds. If there's only one machine somewhere out there, let's say in the middle of Lithuania, it's not able to connect to any other node. Without that, there is no network. And that's not just for Bitcoin, that's for all networks. That The very definition of a network is more than one node. And those two nodes are able to speak the same language to do some X. If you've only got one node running, even if it's connected to power and it has a full copy of the blockchain, it will not be able to receive or send messages to anything because it's the only node on the network. See what I'm saying? So you can effectively kill blockchain propagation, but because there's at least one extant copy of the full Bitcoin blockchain, if that if one other node gets connected to the remaining node, the only remaining node so far, and it copies that blockchain, all of a sudden it can start transmitting messages. 
So you, there's a resurrection that's always inherent in at least one copy of the blockchain, but then somebody will say, what if it was malicious? Okay, well, good, you know, honestly, good luck in killing all but one node. And certainly good luck in killing the entire damn thing. But I just wanted to make sure that that was clear. Now, <clears throat> if you run, this is reason five, if you learn to run your own node, then you also become a kind of human node because you can one day help someone else to run and use their own node. In the future, it may be too challenging for everyone to run their own node. We don't want people trusting random nodes. I imagine that there will be a technical person in every society or every social circle of trust for people to connect their wallets to. This tiny trade-off is far better than connecting to some random public Bitcoin node. Last, and le or last but not least, reason six, running your own node is super cool and gives you a great appreciation for the power of Bitcoin. You'll probably end up buying some more. So conclusion, Hopefully it's clear that you should now run your own node and there are various ways. If you want individual help, see here, and I guess he's linking back to his own uh, website and or Twitter account. But if you can manage it on your own, here are some options and guides that I wrote to assist and all these are links. Raspberry Pi and MyNode. Okay, that's the one that I use. I use MyNode running on a Raspberry Pi. That's my personal node. When you send me lightning payments uh, on podcasting 2.0, to listen to this podcast, it's going to a Raspberry Pi and it's running my node software on it. That's my node. A Bitcoin Core node, as well as a Lightning Network node, are both on that machine. All right. So, and then there's Bitcoin Core and EPS plus Electrum Wallet on a Raspberry Pi. There's Bitcoin Core on Mac OS with EPS and Electrum Desktop Wallet. You can run a Bitcoin node with Windows and a Virtual Box with Linux. Uh, connect Electrum Desktop Wallet to your Bitcoin node. All right, I, I've connected my Electrum desktop wallet to my node, and I use Spectre uh, when, when I'm using uh, a Bitcoin wallet on my node. I have a couple of wallets. And Electrum will, you know, will connect directly to my node, and Spectre desktop will connect directly to my node. So I'm not trusting anybody else's node to do this. This is the information that I keep in you know the, you know in a box the size of a small phone on on top of my you know desktop computer right so specter is able to connect to it and verify everything um electrum is able to connect to my node and verify everything that i need and i can make transactions from both of those wallets if i want if i get you know if i and then i get you know i can get tricky cuz i have a lightning uh lightning node running uh alongside my bitcoin node I can connect Blue Wallet to my Lightning node, and now my Blue Wallet anywhere I go is actually attaching to my Lightning node, which is getting all its its information from my Bitcoin node. I don't have to trust anybody, and that's how that shit works. So if I'm out in Dallas and I want to pay somebody a Lightning Network payment, and I opened up Blue Wallet, that entire situation is processed through the box sitting on my computer. Now, if my power goes out or that Raspberry Pi dies that's a problem. I lose connectivity to my node because my node is dead. That's just the way, the way of things, which is why I have been begging for the last year for somebody to figure out a Bitcoin node and a, and a Lightning Network node failover situation. Essentially, it's this. I want two Raspberry Pis. I want them basically being clones of each other. I want them both operating as 
like two Bitcoin core nodes and two Lightning Network nodes, but the core node and Lightning Network node are just backups for the functional core node and the functional Lightning node. So that if one Raspberry Pi goes down, the other Raspberry Pi gets a signal and says, I am now live, bitches, and I ain't got to update anything because I've been up to date all this time. Has its own copy of the blockchain on its own hard drive. Anybody who knows how to do that, please get in touch with me because that shit needs to happen. Devices fail. They do. And that's just a pain in the ass. So anyway, with all that said, we are now 64 minutes into the podcast. (coughs) I'm going to go ahead and end it here by saying I'll see you on the other side. This has been Bitcoin And, and I'm your host, David Bennett. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and hope to see you again real soon. Have a great day.